Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for checking out our sermons. Here is a message from special guest preacher Mike Snedeker. Listen and be blessed. Hi, friends. It's a joy to be with you today. Um, Thank you for the opportunity to share from God's Word with you. Uh, my name is Mike. I am the lead pastor of Community Evangelical Church in Sinking Spring. I've uh, been here for almost 30 years um, on pastoral staff, and it's just been a blessing. Uh, I'm married to Beth uh, for 28 years this year, uh, two daughters, and uh, just uh, been a joy to just to be a follower of Jesus and to share kind of my heart, what God has done in my life with you today. I want to pray, and then we're going to just dive into today's um, message. Let's pray together. God, thanks for this opportunity to be here. Um, Thank you for each person who is hearing my voice right now. And God, uh, I pray that uh, wherever uh, people are in a living room, in a car, on a beach, Uh, that in this moment, you would take the words that are spoken, uh, that you would cause them to um, supernaturally, by your power, uh, be uh, words that are not of Mike, but of your spirit. And so would your spirit speak, uh, pierce hearts, pierce minds, pierce ears uh, for your honor and glory. So we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, There's a few times in life where you remember exactly where you were when something happened. And I I remember 9-11 is one of those things. Um, When uh, when the Twin Towers were attacked, there was, um, most of us remember exactly where we were, either when we first saw a news story, uh, when a coworker said, hey, this is happening. Um, And uh, and if I asked you where that was, you could immediately say, yeah, this is where I was. I remember being... Uh, in the living room uh, of our home. Um, My wife was in the kitchen. Uh, I was putting my shoes on, TV was on, um, and uh, I think we had the Today Show on. And these news reports started coming across, and I was like, what in the world? Um, The days following that and the weeks and months following that, there was something that happened that I found fascinating. And to this day, I find fascinating how um, a nation that uh, could be completely divided and found itself in so many uh, different mindsets and locations and places banded together, and we became huge fans of our citizenship. We were proud to be Americans. As a matter of fact, Lee Greenwood's uh, song, uh, Proud to be an American, uh, you heard it everywhere you went. It was in the mall, it was at the gas station, it was in your car, uh, everywhere. And people were playing that song. And I remember the pride uh, in people's hearts. I remember the, the, um, the joy uh, that they had just to be Americans. And we shared this in common. It was our citizenship. And, and, and it defined who we were. And um, I'm all about, um, you know, somebody loving uh, their country. Uh, I fly a flag in front of my house. Um, But as Christians, um, I'm confronted often, uh, both myself and as a church, uh, for my my friends, my family, my my brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, with the reality that I, I think 
we're confused by our citizenship. Uh, we we order our citizenship, and and our our pride in being Americans sometimes can overtake the true citizenship that God has given us. Um, Ephesians would tell us and challenge us that we are not citizens of an earthly kingdom, but of a heavenly kingdom. Our citizenship of heaven um, far outweighs our citizenship here on earth. And uh, and and um, I think throughout scripture, we see this idea of a kingdom um, being displayed. We see the life of Jesus. He came to proclaim the kingdom. Uh, I love that in Luke 22, uh, that kingdom that Jesus came to proclaim, he gives to his apostles and, and that's passed down to each generation of follower of Christ, that we are now a part of this kingdom that Jesus came to establish here on earth. And, uh, and so as I think about that idea of kingdom and where my citizenship lies, um, I recognize that a kingdom has uh, four attributes. Um, I recently was put into uh, the position of Kingdom Extension Associate for our denomination. My role denominationally is to help churches embrace their kingdom and extend, uh, expand the kingdom from their context where God has placed them. And so as I talk to you as Plymouth Meeting uh, EC Church this morning, um, I recognize that that you have been given a very unique situation that is part of the kingdom with four attributes, um, and your job is to expand that kingdom. And so what are those four attributes? Well, a kingdom has a king, um, uh, one who is the ruler, the head, the chief, the leader of that kingdom. And for us, um, it's obvious who is our who is our king. Uh, Jesus is our king. Our lives are oriented to him. Uh, they're lived in obedience to him. They're to be guided by him. He is He is our king. Uh, secondly, a kingdom has a territory. And we as human beings, we, we get the idea of territory. We know borders. We know boundaries. Uh, we know where nations start and end. We know where states start and end. We know where where counties and cities start and end. But the beautiful thing about a heavenly kingdom is that it doesn't have borders. A heavenly kingdom is described more by the presence of the citizens of that kingdom than by the borders of that kingdom. Uh, a kingdom has citizens or subjects, people who are part of that kingdom, who are loyal to that kingdom, who are defined by that kingdom. And so as kingdoms of uh, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, our citizenship is there. And so because we are children of the king, because we've been adopted by the king, because we are his children by grace through faith, um, we are citizens of that kingdom. And finally, a kingdom has laws that guide it, that uh, that lead it, and um, the beauty of, of what's revealed to us, especially uh, through some of the writings of the Apostle Paul, is that the laws that God desires that would guide us and lead us and um, and define us are not written out in here's the list of do's and don'ts that are part of this kingdom, but it's a law of love that we're to be guided by those two laws that Jesus pointed to um, in Matthew 22, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, 
all your mind and all your strength. Second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're to be guided by those principles. What does it mean to sacrifice myself for the best of those around me? And so the laws by the Holy Spirit who Jesus give, has given us are written on our hearts. And so being a citizen of this kingdom is defined by the boundaries of wherever I am, the kingdom of God is. It, it, it goes with me wherever I go. I am, I am a, a representative. I am a citizen of, and I serve a king in King Jesus. And as we dive into the passage that we're looking at today here in uh, Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus proclaiming the kingdom. And what we're going to see as we read through and walk through this passage is three things. We're going to see the work of the kingdom um, established and defined, uh, what this kingdom does. We're going to see the heart of the kingdom. Uh, what is the heart of the king and what is the heart of the kingdom that, that we are to represent? And we're going to see the ambassadors of the kingdom, those who are the representatives of the kingdom, those who um, are to, are to um, bring the kingdom and, and be the, um, the representatives of the kingdom everywhere they go. And so uh, let's look at this passage. It's found in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read verses 35 to 38. It says, Jesus traveled through the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest, to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. I love this passage. It really defines for me what it means to be a part of the kingdom and to be responsible as a follower of Jesus for the expansion of the kingdom. Um, he first talks about, we see first there, that whole idea of the work of the kingdom. What is the kingdom to be all about? We see Jesus who is uh, living on earth. He's, he's the incarnate son of God, flesh and blood, walking among humanity. And he is living out. He's displaying and he's bringing the message of the kingdom. It says there, he traveled throughout the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues announcing the good news and about the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness. So we see him doing three different things. He's, he's, uh, he's teaching, he's proclaiming, and he's healing. And that really defines who we are. Like, how do we live out this kingdom life? How do we extend the kingdom to the world around us? We, we teach. Uh, teaching is, is, uh, what we call disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That whole idea of, of investing, helping people to learn and understand who is God? How does God feel about me? What does God desire for my life? What does it look like for me to orient my life to the heart of God so that I'm walking in obedience? Jesus said, um, as disciples, we are to take up our cross and follow him. And so a disciple needs to be taught. And Jesus would go into the synagogues and he would teach, what does it mean to be part of this kingdom? He would proclaim. Proclamation is the declaration 
of good news. It says that Jesus proclaimed the good news about the kingdom. The good news, especially for the people uh, then and, and the people today, is that, that God has set us free. And we've been given freedom through Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, through faith in him, that we're freed from the brokenness of the world that we live in. I think the brokenness comes uh, from really the heart of sinfulness. Sinfulness is when we live according to our desires, our wants, our needs, our passions, um, what we think will make us happy. And because we're broken human beings, we make choices, we do things, we find ourselves in situations um, that lead to further pain and further heartache and, and further loneliness. And, um, and so the message of the good news is that Jesus came to make us his very own, that the creator the one who knit us together knows best how we should live in um, unity with his plan for us. I, I love to use the illustration uh, with uh, my congregation um, of, of, of a vehicle. Um, all of us, most of us own vehicles. And um, one of my least favorite things to do as a vehicle owner is to get the oil changed. And I recognize that, you know, when I get the oil changed, it's expensive, it's time consuming. It's getting more and more expensive. And, and so I could very easily say, you know what, like, it's just too much of a hassle to change the oil. You know, I don't really have time to do it. I got other things going on. I have better uses for my money. And I could ignore what the creator of that vehicle suggests that I do in order to keep that vehicle working at its premium. And I could get away with that for a while, but pretty soon there starts to be a knock. And I could turn up the volume and try to cover that knock, uh, the volume on my radio, and try to cover that knocking in the engine. But pretty soon it's going to get worse and worse. And before long, I find myself living in uh, utter chaos of a broken car because it didn't follow the instructions, the maintenance manual, the guidance of the creator of that car. And in the same way, like uh, the good news is that Jesus came to invite us into, uh, into fellowship, into unity, into relationship with the one who created us, the one who knows how we function best, what it looks like for us to live in uh, love and joy and peace and fulfillment of life. So Jesus came proclaiming this message of reconciliation to our creator. And he also um, was healing. He would go around and, and, and he saw the, the results of this brokenness. He saw disease. He saw um, sickness. He saw um, lameness. He saw death. And he stepped into it and he brought healing to it. And in the same way, uh, those of us who are part of the kingdom, as we look at this idea that the kingdom has been handed off to us, that's our role. It's to make disciples. It's to proclaim this good news. And it's also to bring healing. Now, I, I wish that I could walk around like Jesus and, um, and, and simply bring healing like that. Um, 
you know, I, I think that the church and churches around the world have views of God and how he brings healing. But we don't see in our world anywhere is anyone who has the ability as they walk around to simply heal people like that at will um, uh, and, and carry that kind of power. But yet I do believe that God in, 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 um, engages his church in order to bring healing. And he does that through different ways. As we start to see the brokenness of the world around, we are to bring healing. I love um, Kevin and Faye, who are part of my congregation. And uh, Kevin and Faye look for every opportunity to be um, kingdom messengers who are bringing healing. Kevin and Faye will um, always have bags of food and envelopes in their car. And they literally get in their car multiple times a week and will drive around Reading, looking for people who are hurting, looking for homeless people, looking for people who are uh, panhandling. And they drive up and they share the love of the kingdom. They'll give a bag of food. They'll give a, 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 a an envelope with cash or gift cards in it because they want to see themselves as people who are seeing brokenness and are being agents of healing. And so Jesus would go to the synagogues to do this. Now, most of us um, who live in a in a in a 21st century mindset, uh, we we kind of think of the synagogue, and our minds go to the church. Um, you know, the church is that place where uh, religious teaching happens. But in the first century, the synagogue was not about uh, the the church. It wasn't the church. Um, as a matter of fact, the religious teaching that happened in the synagogue was uh, a low priority purpose of that uh, of that gathering place. It really was the town center. They built a synagogue, and if you've ever been to to um, to the Holy Land, you've seen um, ruins of synagogues. And in those synagogues, there was you know the external walls, and there was benches, and sometimes even bleachers in those places. Um, and somebody would come in and, and uh, that room, that place was really considered a community gathering place. It was used as a school uh, for teaching uh, children and adults. Uh, it was used for community meals. People would gather there and they would have a meal together there. It was used as, a, as just a, a hangout. People would go and talk life, talk philosophy, um, just gather together at the synagogue. Uh, it was used for public meetings. If there was a town meeting on any political issue, on uh, any um, social issue, that's where it happened, at the synagogue. It was used as a place of charity. They would collect goods and give out goods to people who were needy. Uh, it, was a, it was a hostel, a place where people who were travelers uh, needed a place to stay. They could stay in the synagogue. Uh, it was a courtroom. That's where court was held. It was it was used as a as a political forum where political meetings happen. And so the religious gathering that we often think of in a synagogue is not the first and primary focus of the synagogue. Um, that was actually way down the list. And so Jesus went to where the people were. And of course, if this is where people are gathering, you're going to see influential people there. 
You're also going to see the poor and needy who are there begging. You're going to see the sick and the infirmed there who are looking for help. And so this synagogue becomes the place where everybody is. And so Jesus went to where people were. He sought out people that he could bring teaching to, proclamation to, and healing to. And so that's really the heartbeat, the work of the kingdom. It's bringing healing to the world around us um, by seeking out those who are broken, those who need help, and engaging in them. And I love um, that the the work of the kingdom leads right into, in this passage, uh, the heart of the kingdom. Um, uh, A verse, uh, picking up at verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus sees the crowds. He sees these gatherings of people and he is moved with compassion. Now, again, the crowds are not, um, you know, often we go to like the feeding of 5,000 where people are seated on on a mountainside. Really what's going on here is Jesus is everywhere he goes, he sees gatherings of people and It would have been very easy for him to look and say, oh, there's a bunch of poor people. Oh, there's a bunch of sick people. Oh, there's a bunch of beggars. But he also said, oh, there's a bunch of politicians. Oh, there's a bunch of religious leaders. Oh, there's a bunch of farmers. Everywhere he went, he looked and he saw people and he was moved with compassion, with sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering and misfortunes of people. He looked at these people and he was moved to a place of being broken, that they were suffering, they were hurting. Not just the poor people, but the politicians and the religious leaders and the, and the, and the workers. Like Jesus saw them, he saw where they were, and he was moved with compassion. And he and he, and, he, and he saw them as, it's, it, the, the word here is harassed and helpless. And literally that idea of being harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, was, um, was a group of people and, um, who um, are, uh, that, that, that Greek word um, harassed that, that we read here um, is, is a word that describes an animal that is skinned alive, that's filleted. And, and it's really graphic in nature, this word that, that Matthew uses to describe these people, that he sees them as, as filleted, as he, he sees beyond their exterior to the real brokenness in their hearts. And he's moved with compassion by that because they're sheep without a shepherd. A shepherd uh, was responsible to lead the sheep to water. A shepherd was responsible to apply oils and, and, and fragrances to the sheep that would push away the parasites and help keep the, the sheep healthy. A, a sheep left on its own will wander aimlessly. It will be overrun by parasites and disease. It will fall into traps. It will be uh, uh, attacked by wolves and other wild animals. And so Jesus looks and he says, wow, these people they don't understand. They don't know this kingdom that I'm bringing. And so he's moved with compassion by it. And I think, uh, I think we have, especially as a 21st century church, we've been 
we, we've allowed ourselves to come, come to a place where we're not moved with compassion. I, I, I talk to so many Christians, and uh, even in recent days, you know, I look at uh, events following uh, the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe versus Wade. In the last couple of years, some of the political climate that's gone on and some of the, um, the, the racial things that we've seen in our country. <clears throat> and regardless of how you feel politically, emotionally, um, uh, responsibly about those things, my question would be this, how, how do you respond emotionally when you see a protest, when you see crowds of people who are protesting and uh, maybe holding a sign that says, stop making my choices for me, or uh, maybe a, 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 a pro-choice sign, which may not fit with your Christian beliefs. And maybe, maybe um, some of the, the, the movements that we've seen, the Black Lives Matter, other things like that. How do you respond emotionally? Jesus looked at those people who were part of culture around him. And he didn't look at them, and, and he wasn't moved with judgment. He wasn't moved with anger. He wasn't moved with disappointment. He wasn't moved with disagreement. He was moved with compassion. His heart broke because he saw the hurt in their hearts, and it moved him to behavior. It moved him to step into the work of the kingdom, and I think that's the heart that Jesus wants us to have when he hands the kingdom off to us, that we would be moved with compassion. We'd look at the world around us, and we wouldn't be moved to anger, but we would be moved to compassion. We would see people and the hurt that's really going on deep within them, and be willing to step into it and say, hey, we're here to minister to that brokenness, minister a hope of a kingdom that is not of this world. And finally, we see um, the the call for or the need for ambassadors of this kingdom. The final couple verses of this passage say, he said to his disciples, so after all of this, he looks at his disciples and he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. The ambassadors are few. So pray the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus says, look at all these people. There is opportunities galore. Where we are in our world, there's opportunities galore. And followers of Jesus need to, Jesus says, pray for um Pray for workers, pray for ambassadors, pray for people who would step up and see themselves as representatives of the kingdom and ministers of the kingdom in the world that they're in. So just pray that the Lord would raise up ambassadors. And um, I, I think one of the things the church is coming to realize is that when we pray, God often uses us as the answer to our prayer. So be careful what you're praying. These are dangerous prayers. When you pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up harvest workers or ambassadors, he often will look to you and say, you're the answer. 
when your heart is broken, when you're moved with compassion for this group of people, for your neighbor, for your family members, for your coworkers, for the people who surround in, who, who who surround your church, live in the community of your church. When you pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers, he often looks at you and he pricks your heart and he says, you're my ambassadors. I love that Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 calls us Christ ambassadors. Each and every one of us are Christ ambassadors. Um, I'm, uh, one of the things I love to do is ride my bike. And on one of the routes that I ride my bike is some farmer's fields. And they have, um, they have workers who come into those fields at harvest time. And, and I love to kind of watch them. I'll slow down and watch them. And what's interesting is um, the, the harvest workers um, are working in conjunction with each other, but each are working on the bush. So when they're picking strawberries, for instance, they're working on the bush where they are. You and I have been called to be harvest workers right where we are, to meet the needs right around us. And so when we pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up harvest workers, he often looks and says, I've placed you right where you are with a purpose and a plan. And I want to accomplish something through you, right where you are. I have a an alarm on my phone. Um, so many uh, of the smartphones, you know, have this great ability to, um, you know, you can set multiple alarms and you can have them repeat every day. And at every day at 10.02, uh, I have an alarm that goes off and it says, uh, pray for harvest workers. At 10.02, um, I, I said it at 10.02 because uh, this same verse is recorded in Luke 10, verse 2. And it and it says, pray the Lord of the harvest. And so I have a reminder every single day to pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up harvest workers. My prayer for you is that God would raise up harvest workers within Plymouth Meeting Church. I heard a great preacher recently who talked about exactly how God does uh, God does that um, some of you may have heard his preaching before. Uh, maybe you've even been moved by his preaching. His name is um, Cameron uh, Cameron Smith. Um, and back in March, he preached a sermon um, where he talked about the Good Samaritan. And uh, he had some observations in that sermon. He talked about pathways and proximity, that, that we are called to, to harvest work in our pathways, the places we go, the supermarkets we go to, the neighborhoods we walk in, the workplace we're a part of, um, where's God raising you up to be a harvest worker in your proximity and pathways? He talked about mission and movement. He talked about a willingness to go and do. I love uh, the Great Commission where Jesus says, um, as you go. Now, our Bibles say go and make disciples, but that uh, that verb there is in the active um, tense. It's it's to be actively um, followed up with. It's it's the continuous action as you go or as you are going wherever you go, make disciples. He talked about vision, uh, learning to be able to see around us, um, having God open our eyes to the needs, to the hurts uh, that are in our. Uh, pathways in proximity. He talked about compassion, um, 
I, I loved that he recognized in that story, he said, what will it take? Not um, what do I have to do, but what will it take? God, what, it, what will it take for me to be the harvest worker you're calling me to be? And he talked about practice, um, the things we can do, and, and, and what God is calling you and I to as harvest workers, what he's calling uh, Plymouth Meeting Church to as, as a harvest um, community within the community of Plymouth Meeting. They may not seem like great things, but as we start taking those baby steps, doing little things, God will work in your life and in your church to change the world. If we can get every Christian in every church to be willing to take one little baby step, the country we live in, the world we live in would change like that. So my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is begin to pray. Maybe set an alarm on your phone and say, God, would you raise up harvest workers? And then when God starts to prick you, when he starts to awaken you to your proximity, to your mission, to your vision, to your compassion, to your practice, to those five things, my prayer is that God would excite you right where you are to make a difference in your community. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this group of people. Thank you for what you have called them to. God, thank you for Cam and Jess and, and their leading this congregation to be on mission with you, to make a difference in the world right where they are. And God, I pray that you would continue to raise up at Plymouth Meeting Church harvest workers who would step into the rich harvest that is around them as ministers of the gospel. God, you are good. We love you. We thank you for your work in our lives. God, we commit ourselves to you for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for this opportunity to share with you. Uh, be blessed, and I hope to talk to you again soon.